I don't know if any of you here have heard this story before, but the main thing that I want to get across to you is that we see God and we come to know God in the people who influence us and who are around us and who love us. And a long, 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 long time ago, <laughs> when I was 11 years old, uh, my grandmother uh, sort of rescued me from a situation where my stepfather had sexually abused me and I was in a situation out of, out of state away from where she was and I uh, was lost. I was alone, even though I had my mother there, stranded by all these strangers. And I missed my grandmother. And um, for the next several years, that's all I could think about was just to get out of this situation and go back to her. Well, uh, I don't think my mother knew exactly at first what was going on, but I think later on she did get an idea. And so she arranged for me to move from where we were back to Alabama where my grandmother was. And <clears throat> that was probably one of the happiest days of my life because when I walked in and saw her, it was like I knew I was home and I knew it was safe. And it was through that that I began to put some things together, even though I was only 11 years old, that told me that there is a God somewhere and he loves us. She was a formidable woman. She was not really as tall as I am now, but at that time when I was 11, I was not this tall either. So I looked up to her. Like I say, she, she had some weight on her. <laughs> and uh, she looked at me and she said, Margaret Ann, if he ever lays another hand on you, I'll kill him. And I said, Hallelujah! <laughs> Finally, somebody cares about me. Somebody is going to take care of me, and somebody is going to kill the SOB if anything happens. <laughs> and that was music to my ears. I mean, I think about that now, and I thought, surely I could have come up with something nicer to say. But at the time, I was just so relieved, I didn't know what to do. Really relieved. So um, that. Uh, helped form a lot of my thinking about who God was and what love is. And I lived with her then for the next several years. And um, I thought to myself, if anything ever happens to her, though, I'm dead. Because she was just, she was my lifeline. She was my savior. She was my lifeline. I couldn't count on anybody but her. I could have, but I didn't see it that way. Well, of course, she did die, and that was in 1983, so this is 30 years later. And I'm a grown woman, 41 years old. <clears throat> and when she died, I just absolutely lost it. That's all I can say. I just went crazy. I threw away everything that I was, left, took off. I just, I didn't know anything to do except just to run, run as far as I could, as fast as I could to get away from everything and everybody, and I did. And I wound up in uh, Birmingham. I was living in South Alabama at the time. And I got a job and I started working and I was so depressed. I just could not manage to cope. And I kept getting more and more depressed. And I wound up in the psych unit of a hospital in Birmingham. And I was so strung out 
Now, I wasn't on drugs or alcohol, but I was so strung out and so upset, I guess you could say, they put me on a regimen of drugs that just absolutely knocked me out. And then over the next few days, they slowly but surely brought me up to where I was completely able to know what was going on. And they told me that they had done that because I was just so raw and they knew that I couldn't talk. And uh, so anyway, I did survive that and I did go to counseling and that helped some. But in the meantime, I met Jeff and uh, he was able to understand where I was coming from, but he also started talking to me about my relationship with God. And of course, at first, I didn't want to hear none of it. Look, I'm messed up. You know, this is what's going on. And this is all I can think about. But he started telling me about God and drawing me in to a place where I really couldn't deny what he was saying was the truth. And so I told him, I said, I said, you know, I understand what, what this is all about, what you're trying to tell me, but I just, I just can't go on. I just don't know what to do. I'm so, I'm so empty. I'm empty on the inside. And I said, I can't really respond to you or anything else or God because I'm so empty. And he said, you know, we've just got to pray about this. Mm-hmm. Well, he did. And I thought, yeah, wow, sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're in that place where you're just yes. so out of it, you don't give a con now. <laughs> and you just don't know if things are going to work or not. <clears throat> but at any rate, that went on. And he was praying for me all along. But... Uh, one, one day he, he went to work and I was in the house all by myself and I guess I was just so depressed and so lost and so upset I didn't know what to do and I remember standing in my living room floor and I looked up and I said God if you don't do something I'm going to die I am so empty on the inside now I didn't say it as calmly as that because right. <laughs> I am strung out now that's all there is to it and this was a cry of desperation. Mm. Well, nothing happened. You know, lightning didn't flash and <laughs> an angel didn't walk through the door. And so I I just went on. I just went on. I thought, well, that's about all I can do right now. Well, several months later, this is 1990, I think. <clears throat> and uh, in 1991, I decided I wanted to be a nurse. So I went through all the stuff that you have to do and I got a scholarship through a hospital to be a nurse. So I was working a few months to sort of uh, uh, supplement our income until I went to went to nursing school. And one evening we were just sitting in the, in the house and um, I had a notebook in my hand. I used to write all the time poetry, not rhyming poetry, but just what it really just amounted to whatever's on on my heart. And, um, but anyway, Jeff and I had a little spat. We had a knockdown drag (laughs) 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 And he got mad and I was mad. No, I can't believe it. And uh, (laughs) we had a shop, 
uh, he had a shop out back uh, of the house. And um, so he took his toys and he went down to the shop to pal. <laughs> and I stayed in the house and I was sitting on the sofa and I, I had my notebook, but I also had a National Geographic magazine. And on that cover was a picture of a baseball player and he was like this, you know, ready to wind up to pitch. And I took my pencil and I drew that sucker. Mm -hmm. Never had drawn anything in my life except a stick man. Wow. Never, never, never. And uh, I thought, hey man, that's pretty good. <laughs> I opened up the magazine and there were several other pictures in there of baseball players. You know, they were doing this tiny shoe. Well, I drew those too. Well, I forgot all about being mad. <laughs> I grabbed that notebook and I ran down to the shop and I said, Jeff, I can draw, I can draw. And I'm sure he's thinking, well, so what? <laughs> <laughs> but he he was patient. Bless his heart. That's one of his virtues. He is so patient with me. Yeah. And uh, he looked at it and he said, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Well, the next thing I knew, no, he comes in from work with a big 14 by 17 pad newsprint. Mm. Oh, that was wow. the cheapest thing you could get. And some pencils. And... <clears throat> I thought, well, hmm, this, this means something. <laughs> so I immediately started drawing every picture of my grandmother that I had. Wow. And <clears throat> one of the problems that I was having was that I couldn't grieve. I hadn't cried. I hadn't stomped around. I hadn't yelled or screamed <laughs> or whatever. It was just all on the inside. And it was just, you know, just crushing me on the inside. Well, when I started drawing her, all of these things started coming out of me. Now you have to imagine that this is a big pad. So I draw her face in the middle or whatever the picture was in the middle. Over here in this corner, I'd write what I was feeling. And then I'd put it down and I'd cry. And that went on for several weeks until I drew every picture that I had of her. And in that, I grieved. And in that, the depression started to lift because I was getting all of this stuff, this junk out of me. So anyway, uh, many of you know that uh, I spend most of my time drawing now <laughs> and painting. I mean, I'll never stop because every time I pick up my pencil or yeah, that my pencil or a, a paintbrush or something like that, I'm thanking God for what he did for me that that just broke the dam that just set me up to to really come to know who he was and what prayer is all about i thought my gosh jeff prayed i yelled and screamed and prayed and look what god has done so it was just like a whole new world opened up to me now like i say i was 41 42 somewhere along in there no it was i was later than that 49 well, my mother died in 1989. That was the year that we were married. And so that was another blow. But because of what had happened with my grandmother, I was able to grieve her loss. And I was also able to forgive her for whatever duplicity she had in the situation. And also my stepfather as well. He, he was dead at that time. So um, <clears throat> prayer to me has just been... A, a lifesaver that's all I can tell you I know that God is real I know that he hears me 
I know that he loves me. I know that he cares about me. Every single thing that happens to me. Uh, case in point is last Saturday we had our grief meeting. You know, we've been doing that for several years. And <clears throat> the teaching that I brought to them was about Passover and Resurrection Day and the Last Supper. And I thought it was a good message, but then after it was over with, I thought, man, maybe I should have talked about something else. And I worried about that. I mean, I came home and I was really kind of upset about the whole thing, wondering <laughs> if I should have said something else. What, what possessed you to talk about Passover? And well, anyway, whatever, I did it. <laughs> so anyway, um, I went to bed that night, still with that on my mind and my heart. Woke up the next morning, it's Sunday, getting ready to go to church. And I'm sitting in the room where my jewelry is. And I'm looking around for uh, earrings and stuff like that. And of course, the whole time I've been saying, Lord, I just don't know. I just don't know about this. And all of a sudden, he spoke to me and he said, it's good to get their minds off themselves and put their minds on me. Mm. And I said, hallelujah, that's the answer to it. Come on. So <laughs> that's the kind of life that I have. <laughs> wow. Where a lot of it is just an unspoken thing where you just, it's just something that's in your heart. It's just so deep down inside. You just, sometimes you can't even put it into words, but you're thinking it and you're feeling it. And he hears all of that. And that is just so wonderful to me. I just can't believe it sometimes <laughs> how wonderful it is but i still grieve the loss of my grandmother and i just want to read you one little thing that i wrote uh, this was in 2016 okay so it's fairly recent i put my glasses on <laughs> i write so tiny i can't read it <laughs> <clears throat> In mornings like these come more often, it seems, to my lonely, troubled soul. I know I'll see you in heaven, but it won't be the same. We'll just be part of the homecoming crowd with all of our affection turned toward him. So it really was goodbye. It really was just for a time and not meant to be forever here on earth. I know I did not love you well. I loved you instead out of my own need and selfishness, a baby, a child, forever wanting to be held and rocked to sleep. I am forever needing, wanting and yearning for you and for it to be just the way it was before I grew up and you grew old and died. Um, so, but <clears throat> I've got a lot of things that I've written to her. Also, after he gave me the gift of drawing or art, whatever you want to call it. He also gave me the gift of music and I have written so many songs for her and my mother. Wow. And I'm not kidding you, that was just a relief like you, a release and a relief like you cannot imagine because I love music anyway. Music means so much to me, it always has ever since I was just a little girl. So to be able to sit down at the keyboards and compose a song or songs that are directly for her or for my mother with beautiful music. I think it's beautiful. 
<laughs> is a it's sort of like the icing on the cake, I guess, more than anything. But anyway, um, like I say, if it hadn't been for her and if it hadn't been for Jeff just hanging in there like a rusty fish hook and encouraging <laughs> me. <laughs> I used to work at the fisheries department at Auburn University. Oh, wow. And that was one of the first little sayings I heard, hanging in there like a rusty oh, fish hook. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that was, uh, all, all of that just worked together to really set me in a place where I needed to be. And I, you know, for a long time, I thought, God, you just love me so much. You gave me this gift of art and you gave me this gift of music. And at some point, he said, Margaret, yes, I do. But he said, I wanted to clear all that crap out of you <laughs> wow. so that you could do what I wanted you to do. Yes, amen. And I, I thought about that years later, and I thought that's exactly what he does. He wants to clean us up, clean all that stuff out, so we'll be ready to do what he's called right. us to do. She didn't tell me what she was going to talk about, so oh. I got to enjoy the story, too, <laughs> from a different perspective. You keep a time on us. I, no, I don't want to uh, you go ahead. I don't want to run past our limit. If it's interesting, we won't stop you. <laughs> if you're watching on Zoom, uh, grab a Bible, because I'm going to want to uh, look at some scripture. And I've got uh, just some handouts for the rest of you, because uh, I know you may not have your Bible with you, so I just brought uh, I brought the scripture that we're going to be looking at, and I'll give it to you when we get to that point. But I want to talk tonight about why we pray. Why does God want us to pray? And I think there are some insights to be gained from looking at that. And I noticed that uh, when Gary spoke the other Sunday, he touched on that. And I've heard Herman touch on that. I've heard Pastor Eddie touch on that. And um, Kathy touched on that. And you know, I realize that if we don't have a good understanding of why it is that God wants us to pray, then our prayers will be kind of mechanical. Um, They'll be more out of duty, out of mm. obligation, than they will be as a means of a very vibrant, communication with him. And Margaret touched on something. I didn't know that she was, I didn't, she didn't tell me what she was going to talk about, but you know, prayer is so much more than just talking to God. It certainly is talking to God. But it's so much more than that. It's really communion with God. And her story is just so significant in that aspect because it portrays how God is listening to our hearts. Yes. 
And even when we don't know how to express uh -huh. what is on our hearts, He knows. Yeah. And it talks about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that can't be put into words. We don't know how to put into words some of the things that are on our hearts. But He knows those things. And when you look back at what we see of the stories that God has given to us in the Scripture, you see that God is always interacting with man. You see that from the very beginning. He walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we don't know what they were talking about, but it must have been some pretty interesting conversation because apparently God did that often. And we look even further back before the creation, we see that God exists in an eternal relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then as we proceed on through the Bible, you see the constant interaction with man. You see Enoch walking with God. And God loved the fellowship that he had with Enoch so much that he scooped that guy up and said, look, I want you up here with me. <laughs> and the scripture tells us that Enoch was not because God took him. And so we see Noah walking with God. We see Abram walking with God. And we see that through Abram, God develops a relationship not just with a man, but with a whole nation that he calls into relationship with himself. And he tells them, he said, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, he set them apart for a relationship with him. Amen. So God is very much about relationships. And I believe that the sole purpose of the creation of mankind was for God to share himself with someone who would in turn share themselves with him out of a sheer desire to know him. Yes. Wow. No other reason. Yes. He was looking for those who wanted him, who wanted to know him. And so I believe that we were really created, our whole purpose in, 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 in my existence is to know him, to know him, and to interact with him. And... We see that Jesus modeled the perfect relationship with God. And one thing that the scripture tells us about Jesus is that he was a man of prayer. Luke tells us that he would go often to the wilderness off by himself to pray. And his prayer life was so striking and his disciples were so impressed with that prayer life that they asked him to teach them to pray. 
because they clearly saw a relationship between the fruit of his life and his prayer life. Mm -hmm. And so God desires communion with us. And prayer is that avenue of communion with him. And so that's why I say that I believe prayer is much more than just talking to God. It's listening to God, as Herman has pointed out. There's a, an aspect of that where we need to tone it down and just listen to what he has to say in return. But you know, sometimes you can just be absolutely quiet with God. You don't have to say a word. And it's not a matter of, of, of being intentional about listening at that point. It's just a matter of being with him. Yes. Don't you just, when, when you have somebody who's just a, the, the best friend you can think of, somebody that you just have a really deep personal relationship with, sometimes you just want to be with them. Now that might be your spouse. It might be your best friend, but you just want to be with them. And there are those times where you just don't have, you don't have to say a word. You don't have to talk about anything. You just want to be with you. And I think that God feels that way too. There are times when he just wants to be with us. And I think he just enjoys it so much when there are times when we just want to be with him. Think what that would mean to him. Yes, to, absolutely. to think that you value his presence so much that you just want to be with him. You don't care whether he says anything or not. No. You just want to be with him. And there's so much that prayer does in us. It becomes our avenue of engaging our heart with his heart. Even in those quiet times, there's that engagement where you're just aware of something. And you may become aware of the way God is feeling about something when he doesn't even say a word. And you haven't said a word. But yet you sense something that he's communicating to you. And prayer becomes our way of seeing with his eyes and prayer becomes our way of taking upon our heart the burdens that are on his heart. You know, when you have a, a person that is very close to you, you have a very close relationship with him, that's a person that you feel like you can share what's really the deepest thing in your heart. I remember when I met Margaret, it was just such a wonderful thing because for the first time in my life, there was somebody that I could really talk to and I knew was listening to me. I mean, she was one of the best listeners that I've ever come across. I have learned so much about listening to people through her. And, you know, I think God just wants that kind of engagement with us as the same kind of engagement that we would have with a very close, intimate friend. And he's invited us to be a part of the family business. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't want to conduct his business alone. 
And I think it's so wonderful that he has a part for each one of us to play in the family business. Wow, so the you. business that he is about on planet Earth, he has invited me and you to be a part of. Amen. That means he tells me and you what the business is, <laughs> if we're listening. And he tells us what it is that he wants to do. And what his goals are, what his plans are. Amen. I mean, just like if it were, you know, an actual business, you would sit down and you'd know what the goal of the business, the mission of the business were, how it was going to be conducted. And God tells all those things to us. He shares those things with us as he makes us his partners in the family business. Amen. And I think there's some an aspect to prayer that God wants us to see tonight in particular. And I want us, if you're listening on Zoom and you did grab your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17. And would you hand these out to anybody? Mm -hmm. This is uh, some scriptures from John chapter 17. And I want us to look at something here. Now, I'm sure that most all of you, if not all of you, have heard it said that if you see something in the Bible twice, it's like God highlighting it. Yeah. You see something repeated. That's God's way of emphasizing it. Well, what would you think if God repeated something four times? Mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty darn serious. You might think that that was pretty important, wouldn't you? I would too. And it's the only thing in the Bible that I know that has been repeated four times. And I want us to look at it tonight. In John chapter 17, let's look at verse 11, and let's look at the second sentence there. Now, I want to say something right up front. I've given you several translations of, of this. Don't let that confuse you, because I'm going to explain in just a few minutes why I did that. But in verse 11, the second sentence, I'm reading here from the NIV, it says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, for many years, I read that in terms of the unity of the body, right, right. the unity of believers. Right. I do not think that's what it means. I think he's talking about oneness with him. Come on. As a matter of fact, a little bit further on, he's going to define exactly what he means by that term. But here he says that, that he desires that we be one with him as Jesus is one with him. 
Now let's skip down to verse 20 and 21. I didn't copy verse, verse 20, but verse 21 is a continuation of verse 20. And he says that they may all be one, just as or in the same way as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That they also will be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now let's skip over to the next page. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. Are you still reading the NIV version here? It says, The glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. That they may be one. Now, what what would you think was his glory? You might think, well, that would be the glory of being the only begotten Son of God. But he can't give us that glory. That glory belongs to him alone. So let's see. Maybe he's talking about the glory of his miracles through which he glorified the Father. But his miracles came from something. His miracles were rooted in something. They were rooted in his oneness with the Father. His glory was his oneness with the Father. And out of that came the incredible and miraculous life that he lived. So incredible that his disciples said, teach us to pray. Yes. Yeah. Because they saw that oneness that Jesus had with the Father in his prayer life. But he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected, and the Greek says, into one. Talking about our oneness with the Father, so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as you have loved me. Amen. The only way that the world is going to be able to see that God the Father loves us as he loved Jesus is for us to display that same oneness that Jesus had with the Father. Yeah. 
And the unity of the body will be a natural outcome yeah. of the unity of believers wow. with the Father. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There won't have there won't be any need for us to worry about and focus on how to achieve unity in the body. When we have unity with the yes. Father, wow. we will naturally have unity with the body. Wow. And so Jesus has modeled for us how to be one with the Father. And that's what he is saying here that he desires for us is for us to have that glory and experience that same oneness that he had with the Father. And you think, wow, is that really even possible? Well, Jesus asked God for that. Do you think God is going to answer his prayer? Now, this begs a question. You think, well, why doesn't that happen? You know, we look around, we don't see too many people that you would think have, that you could point to and say, oh, yeah, that person has that kind of oneness. <laughs> and that's because it's something that we have to pursue. And I believe that Jesus pursued it. I believe that's why we see him at 12 years old astounding the scholars in the temple because he had so pursued the heart of God. And the scripture tells us something important to understand about that. As much as he obviously understood, as impressive as it was, the scripture goes on to tell us that, and he grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. He grew in favor with God. That means he continued to pursue the heart of God. And you know, Jeremiah tells us, and I just was thinking that Herman was going to use my scripture Sunday, but he left it for me. But in Jeremiah 29, right after that section that you hear quoted so often about God having plans for us, it says something else. It says, you'll find me when you seek me yeah. with all your heart. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, you, I will be found by you. Yeah. And you know, those people that you can point to that have the most powerful and profound ministries are those people who seek after God with that kind of determination, that kind of that kind of persistence because there are a lot of discouragements to seeking after God. Yes. You know, our flesh just 
<laughs> likes to rise up and get in the way of that process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And God knows that. And so I want us to think about some things that I think are critical in terms of our being successful in that pursuit. And I, I want you to understand that I'm coming to you as a student. I have to say, like Paul, that I have not arrived. Okay. And I think that this is the very thing that Paul was talking about in Philippians when he said that he was willing to give up everything and count it all just rubbish compared to the value of knowing Christ. And that word knowing means an experiential kind of knowing. It's not talking about just a head knowledge kind of knowing. It's talking about knowing him like you know your best friend. Knowing him in a deep and intimate kind of way. And Paul said, I hadn't arrived. But what he did say was that I press on toward the goal of the high calling. Now, what is that high calling? I believe it's exactly what Jesus was telling us here in John, the glory that I had, I have given to them. That's the high calling. For us to experience that oneness, that glory that he had. And Paul said, I keep pressing on toward that. Amen. So I wanted to talk about a few things that I think are necessary in that pursuit. And I think it will all be things that you can look at and relate to in the life of Jesus. One thing is that God is not a cheap date. He's a very, very expensive date. And it's going to cost you everything. Wow. Amen. You just missed the phrase of the night. <laughs> I have to catch it on YouTube. God, I can and I think we see that clearly in the life of Jesus. He was willing to give up everything. You see that in the life of Paul. That's what he was talking about in Philippians when he said, you know, all this stuff is just trash to me anymore. It meant so much at one time, but now I don't even consider it worth thinking about. And for that to be true, we have to be submitted. And I like the way Herman puts that. It's submission, but you've got to get that submission to the point that it's total surrender. And we see that Jesus was totally surrendered to the Father. I mean, whatever the Father's will was, that was what Jesus was going after. Now, when you think about that, it becomes more of 
relevant reality to us when you think about the fact that Jesus dwelt in human flesh. And he had to live as a human being with the same challenges that you live with, or he wouldn't have any idea what, what it's like for you to do, to, for you to live with those things. And he says, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he calls us brothers. And that would not be possible. That would be a farce. If Jesus didn't understand what it's like for me to deal with something. I think Jesus had to deal with the tug of the flesh just like we do. But he overcame it. And he overcame it because that pursuit was so important to him. It was the central theme of his life. And so he tells us to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And he tells us, he conveys that, yes, indeed, the first and foremost commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul. Now, I often hear Psalm 91 quoted where it talks about he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, let's think about that word dwell. That doesn't mean visits occasionally. <laughs> that doesn't even mean visits on a fairly regular basis the place where I dwell is the place where I live so what he's talking about here is somebody who lives wow. in that wow. secret place And to do that, it means that there has to be a constant communion with God. And I have to confess for you, to you, that's hard for me because I'm a head person and I'm all the time grinding through thinking about things and it, I get off in my own head. <laughs> And God is, is not invited in. Not because I don't want him there. I just don't think about it. I don't think to invite him in. And he wants to be a part of my every breath. That's what it means to live in the secret place. To live there. So how do I do that? That means when I'm mowing the grass, I'm talking to God. That means when I'm washing the dishes, I'm talking to God. That means when I'm thinking through some aggravating problem at work, I'm talking to God. 
That means as I'm having a conversation with another person, I'm talking to God. I've invited him into the conversation with us. And he's included. And I'm talking to him as I'm talking to this other person. It means as I, I listen to a speaker, if when I'm listening to Pastor Herman or Pastor Eddie on a Sunday morning, I'm talking to God. I'm listening with him. He's with me and we're listening to this together. And I'm talking to him as I'm hearing this. God, what about that? Lord, I don't really understand that. Help me. I need for you to explain that to me. I need to give, for you to give me a deeper understanding of that. So it's, it's, it's building an awareness of his presence into every aspect of your life. Amen. As you're driving down the road, you're not just thinking about traffic. But you're thinking about him and you're talking to him as you're doing that. Can you repeat that again? Building an awareness of his presence was like in everything. I missed that one. Yes, building an awareness of his presence in everything we do, every aspect of our life. So that we're always including him in everything we do. In everything we think. So that we truly do become one with him all of a sudden that oneness begins to take on a bigger and bigger and bigger aspect of our life with him it begins to consume a larger percentage of our being of our awareness and it takes effort and it yeah. takes time. It takes a commitment of time and a commitment of effort. Yeah. That's right. But I believe that of all the things that we might pursue on planet Earth, nothing would pay us back anywhere near yeah. the investment of our time and effort with him Amen. pursuing him seeking him developing that constant awareness of him and that constant communion with him you see then your prayer life takes off on a whole different yeah. tangent and you begin to see why the disciples would say to jesus teach us to pray yeah. And there's a whole lot that can be said about that prayer. You notice Jesus kept it pretty simple. I, I like Herman's keep it simple thing. Mm -hmm. Apparently Jesus pretty much lived that way too. <laughs> but you know what? When you think about how simple it was, that itself speaks of a pre-existing communion with him. Because Jesus said, you don't have to be wordy with the father he already knows what you need right he wow. does want you to tell him wow. he does want you to communicate to him but he already knows and so you don't have to go into detail have you ever noticed how sometimes it's like we think that we have to convince god <laughs> that we really need this or this really needs to happen now 
Come on, Lord. <laughs> I don't think Jesus ever worried about trying to convince God or something. I don't think Jesus ever, you know, have you ever felt that tendency to, you know, you feel like your prayers are kind of twisting God's arm just a little bit? <laughs> I don't think Jesus ever felt the need to do that. And that's because he lived in that constant communion with God and he knew that God knew what he needed. That's why when he stood outside Lazarus' tomb, he said, Father, I know that you always hear me. Ah, oh, yes, yes, absolutely. But I said this out loud for the benefit of those who are standing around. So that's indicative of that constant inner communion that he had with God the Father, talking to him about everything. And so I think that God wants to ratchet up. Our prayer life. Yeah. And that has become the goal of my life is to enter into that glory that Jesus offers to me. Come on. Amen. When he prayed that prayer, he knew that he was going to kick the door open. And as a statement of just how much God was with him in that and going to answer the prayer that he prayed there, God the Father tore the temple curtain in two. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And said, come on in. Yes. You're welcome here. Yes. I'm looking forward to sharing with you the same kind of communion that I had with my son. You see, for Jesus to say this incredible statement so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you really believe that God loves you in the same way to the same degree that he loved Jesus. And here he's saying that, yes, I do, and I want that communion with you. In John 15, Jesus talked about how he loved us as the Father has loved him. And he talked about some of those same things that he echoed here in this prayer. He said, you can do nothing without me. There's that constant communion again. So, if you're struggling with your prayer life, or if you want to really see something vibrant and alive and real and powerful and you want 
the world to know that you know the Father. And that the Father has loved you just as he loved Jesus. Then I encourage you and I challenge you to seek after that oneness with him. Amen.